story you are about to hear is true. Attention, all true. She's alive. Alive! As a kid, I was very lucky to have a group of friends who were all around the same age as me who also got into comic books at just about the same time I did. We all dove in pretty aggressively, picking up books and starting to collect them. One issue we had, though, was there were so many comics and not enough money to buy them all. And so we eventually came up with a system where we would each adopt titles as they came out and be the person who collected them, and then other people could come over to the house and read them. Now this was not without its issues. One of my friends was quite rough with comics. So whenever he came over to read them, I couldn't help but watch him like a hawk. Besides that, sometimes you didn't get the title you might have wanted to collect. But overall, as a system, it worked pretty well and gave us a great amount of exposure to comic books. And it went on for multiple years. And then one day, it stopped. I remember that day because I had gone over to my friend's house like I had done many times and we were sitting waiting for someone else to show up and I said, hey, did you pick up any new comics? And he said to me, no. Now this had happened before. People can't always get to the store to get the comics they want. Sometimes you went to the store and they didn't even have the comics you wanted. And then you'd have to think, well, what other stores am I going to try to have to get to to get my comics? But he didn't say it that way. He said it as if it was, of course I hadn't gone to the store. And so I probed and said, well, when do you expect to go? And he said, I think I'm done with comic books. My jaw just about dropped to the floor. We had been collecting for years and he had some great titles. He was in charge of the West Coast Avengers. He was in charge of a lot of our DC titles. And most importantly, he was in charge of the Transformers, a book that I loved reading when I was over at his house. And so I said to him, well, what do you mean you're done with comics? Don't you enjoy reading them anymore? And he said, sometimes, but I have better uses for my money. I didn't probe deeply on that. Instead, I asked a very important question. Well, what are you going to do with the comics you have? And he said, I don't care. Do you want them? And of course, I said yes immediately. He said, go take them. So I went into his closet, and there was just stacks of comics. I said, well, how am I going to get these home? He goes, I don't know, go get a garbage bag. So that's what I did. I went upstairs, I got a garbage bag, I filled it with comics, including a very big run of Transformers comics, and I put them near the front door, and we hung out that day, and when I left to go home, I took the garbage bag full of comic books and joined them with my collection. He never talked about comics again after that, and very soon afterwards, the two other friends I had who had been into comics both dropped off as well. They weren't so cavalier with their collections offering them up to me at that point. Although two years later, one of them would say, hey, do you want some comics? And I would get those as well. Although those were the rough ones. That was the friend who was very rough with the comics. It was sad to lose my comic book friends. It's just a group I couldn't talk about comics with anymore. I would meet other people who were into comics, but we didn't have the history together that I had with these friends. But for two of them, I did pick up their comic books. And I kind of felt attached to those books in a way I might not other books that I had because they encapsulated a time when I was sharing comic books with really good friends and discovering them together. 
amongst the titles that I was really happy to pick up were The Transformers. It's a book that we argued over who would get to collect, and he ultimately won because he had more Transformer toys than the rest of us. I would reread that comic run multiple times over the years, and I would add to it, completing the entire collection at some point in the 90s, filling in gaps where I didn't have them. The Transformers comic book was amazing. It helped to create the mythology of the Transformers in a way that no other thing did. So on today's show, I'd like to talk to you about this amazing comic book. We'll talk about how the Transformers came to be. We'll talk about its run at Marvel in the US and in the UK, the people who worked on it, some of the spin-offs, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. Transformers was a comic book series published by Marvel in the 1980s telling the story of the Transformers, these giant transforming robots. It was originally started as a four-issue miniseries, but would grow much bigger than that, picking up a mythology along the way that would inform toys, future comic series, and even movies as we move forward. Now, I've done multiple episodes now on the Transformers, covering toys and the cartoon, so I'm not going to rehash some of the stuff that I talked about there, included information leading up to how a lot of the Transformers came to be. But I'll touch a little bit on it just for context. The Transformers, as we know it, actually started as two separate toy lines that were made in Japan by Takara. They were the Microchange and Diaclone toys. Those were spotted by people who worked for Hasbro, the American toy company, and they realized that these toys would sell really well in America, but if they wanted to sell, they needed to translate them to an American audience, and that meant coming up with a backstory. So they approached Marvel Comics, and that meant coming to Marvel's editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter at the time. He came up with the story and narrative for the Transformers toy line, which would ultimately be the thing that led to the Transformers comic book, and the cartoon, and the movie, you name it. Shooter thought this would be a story about two different races of alien robots from a planet full of robots called Cybertron, and they had been fighting a war. They show up on Earth, and the war continues once they're here with humans stuck in the middle. To round out this cast of characters, other artists were brought in with differing levels of success, but one person in particular in the U.S. really clicked with the Transformers, and that was Bob Budiansky. He would not only give names to many of the Transformers that we know and love, but would set their powers and their personalities. As he took over writing the comic, he would define a lot of the mythology of the Transformers. Now, there are two Transformer comics, one published in the U.S. and one published in the U.K. Both are very important, and both would be dominated 
by writers who would come to be the voice of the Transformers. And both of them are recognized as the creators, for the most part, of what we know and love about the Transformers today. So let's start off with the Transformers in the United States. That began, as I said, with a four-part miniseries. And in it, we meet the initial set of characters from the Transformers, and they are awakened on Earth after having slept for four million years. They wake up in what is the present day, which is 1984, and they need to find fuel. And so that is going to dominate a lot of the early Transformers stories, not just in the comics, but in the cartoons. While we would know a lot about the Transformers as we got used to them, remember, nobody knew anything about the Transformers. They were just drawings and pieces of plastic at this point. And so Bob Budiansky would be creating plot points and mythology that would take root not only in the U.S., but also in the UK comics. Now, the book was also meant to sell Transformer toys. And so there is a ever-changing, ever-growing cast of characters. And because they needed to sell these things, often new characters were brought in and then older ones killed or just sort of ignored. That had an effect. When they were killed, sometimes it was in sort of an epic way, which is very different than a lot of other comic books at the time. And I wondered if they could do this because these weren't humans. These were robots. You could easily kill a robot, I guess, in a comic book, and it's not that big a deal. Although some people became very attached to these robots. I was one of them, which was trouble when the movie comes along, but we'll talk about that in another podcast. The comic would run from September 1984 to July of 1991. Although by July of 1991, people really weren't reading it like they used to read it. It wasn't as popular as it had been. And it was very easy to round up the issues I didn't have in bargain bins around this time. Throughout the run of the comic in the U.S., two writers would be featured most prominently. The aforementioned Bob Budiansky, who in addition to writing issues 5 through 55, would also edit the original four-part limited series. After he left, Simon Furman, who had been basically the Bob Budiansky of the U.K., Although, it's arguable that maybe Bob Budiansky is the Simon Furman of the U.S. I think they would have to decide that. Why Furman took over was simple. He knew the product, and this mythology had become huge and very difficult for people to grasp. And so, what other writer was going to step in except for a writer who'd already been doing it for all these years? And he did a good job. But a big problem of having one person write a comic also meant that you couldn't bring in fresh talent, and so sometimes the plot points would be kind of weak, or they would have these strange storylines based on the fact that that's what they felt like doing at the time. My friends and I used to have discussions about this, saying, why don't they bring in another writer to work on this? But at the same time, as I've gotten older, I start to enjoy what Bob Budiansky is trying to do, and also how human he is when writing these things, doing things kind of for fun or trying some weird concept. And the fact that he had the ability to do that is pretty magical. Although when Furman would take over the U.S. run, he kind of seemed to have a much better handle on what the Transformers meant at the time and their potential. Now before I get into the artists and more about the writers, I want to talk about two other writers who worked on it. Bill Mantlo wrote issues one and two of the miniseries. Mantlo is a legendary comic book writer working at Marvel, in addition to helping to kick off the Transformers 
He worked on the Micronauts and ROM. He also co-created Cloak and Dagger and Rocket Raccoon. Really talented guy. Even while working in the comics, he was going to law school and then would become a public defender. Then in 92, he was struck by a car while rollerblading and suffered severe head trauma at the time. Sadly, the damage is irreparable and he has lived in a healthcare facility ever since to receive care. The other person who worked on the miniseries was Jim Salakrup, worked at Marvel and Topps. He would edit books like the X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Avengers, so definitely not a lightweight. In addition to these writers and Bob Budiansky, you had a lot of other talented artists who drew this comic. That's an important part of comics. People like Don Perlin, Jeff Sr., Andrew Wildman, Jose Delbo, Frank Springer, and Nell Yamtov, who worked on every single issue of the book, as well as the miniseries as the colorist. So about Bob Budiansky. Budiansky was born in 1954, best known as the creative power behind the early years of the Transformers in the U.S. He would edit the initial four-run miniseries, and it was a big hit. Now, even though there were some great people working on that miniseries, they didn't seem to understand the mythology as well as Budiansky did. He would be replaced as editor of the comic and become its writer starting on issue five. He would get info directly from Hasbro, working off pictures of the toys, and then he could come up with whatever names he wanted to and then develop their personalities around that as well. For the most part, as long as he got the toys into the book, he was left alone. He has been interviewed many times, and he stated that as the comic kept going, he started to feel fatigue and he wanted to work on something new. And he would point toward Simon Furman, who had been doing the work over in the UK, to be the person to replace him. And that was a great call. Of course, the Transformers are not the only thing he worked on. He also did a great run on Ghost Rider and created the character of Sleepwalker, amongst other things. Now, as I mentioned, Furman would take over. I'm not going to talk about him right now. I'm going to talk about him when I get to the UK portion of this. So a good amount of artists were involved in the Transformers. Highlights include Nell Yamtov as the colorist. He worked at Marvel for quite a while, then did a short stint at DC Comics. He would eventually leave comics to go work for places like Rosen Publishing, Parachute Press, where he worked with Major League Baseball, and then Hammond World Atlas. He's also a writer, very interested in baseball and UFOs, which sounds pretty cool. Frank Springer, who was born in 1929 and passed away in 2009, he worked for the National Lampoon and then went on to work at both Marvel and DC. He penciled the first issues of the Transformer series and then would also draw the spin-off limited series, The Headmasters. Jose Delbo was born in 1933. He joined the Transformers series as its penciler in 1988, working on 25 issues. So he was the single most prolific artist to work on the Transformers while they were at Marvel. And he was pulled off the Transformers, probably would have kept working on it, but instead was asked to work on this other comic called Brute Force, which was going to be used kind of as a pitch from Marvel to toy companies. And they hoped that people would see these characters and then make a toy on it. Unfortunately, no toy manufacturer was into the idea, and the comic was discontinued after its initial four-issue limited series. And unfortunately, in that mess, Jose Delbo had to move on. Don Perlin was the penciler on 19 issues, so he's the second most prolific artist. And he would also do the penciling on the miniseries adaptation of the Transformers the movie, which is a comic I've never really felt like I needed to own because I had seen the series. Eventually I picked it up though. But I only read it a couple of years ago for the first time and then reread it again recently. 
So the format of the comic is interesting. It began as a limited series. And because it was a limited series, it was sold at a higher price of 75 cents. Whereas in 1984, Marvel Comics usually ran 60 cents. But because it was a higher-end comic, it was printed on a higher-quality stock. It's a whiter paper, known as Mando paper. And once the miniseries was over, it continued to be printed on this paper and to keep the price. After issue 28, it would go up to a dollar, and it would remain at a dollar for the remainder of the original run of the series. Mando paper is a step up from the paper you would see in comics. It was a whiter paper, and printing on it was much clearer. It was a step above newsprint books and slightly below the paper known as Baxter, which is a heavier white paper stock that DC tended to use at first, although Marvel would jump in on it as well. It's interesting, all the discussions of paper you find online for comics. I could kind of tell the difference in comics, cheap ones versus kind of nicer feeling ones. At one point, the comics started to be printed on this really shiny paper, I want to say in the 90s, and I did not like that paper. Because if you had any light source, you would get a glare off of it, and it would be difficult to read. I didn't like it at all. It made me wonder, did the people ever read these comics or try to read them in direct sunlight or under a lamp? But Mando paper is what they're using on the Transformers. If you are collecting these comics, you should know that the cover dates do not really correspond to when the comics came out in the past. Back then, the cover dates were usually four months ahead of when they were going on sale. This was sort of leftover from when these comics would be on newsstands, and they were trying to show that their comics were newer than their rival's comic. But also you got to remember that distribution of these comics was often difficult when you had to roll them out to newsstands and get them to different places in the country or even ship them overseas. So they would date them in such a way that didn't really correspond to when you might have seen them first on the newsstand. So while issue one of the Transformers was dated for September, it actually went on sale in May of 1984. By 1989, Marvel would change this, basically rolling it back to two months at the time, which was slightly better if you care about such things, but still an unusual artifact of the time. In addition to the Transformers and some various Transformers miniseries in the U.S., they also put out something called Transformers Comics Magazine. It was a 10-issue distributed bi-monthly, and it was on shelves from January 1987 to July of 1988. Now, if you want to think of it size-wise, think of the Archie Comics Digest comics that you find at supermarkets, and that's really the great thing about them. So they were priced at about a buck fifty, and they would have two issues of Marvel Comics regular comics just reprinted in them. So the first 10 issues of Transformers Comics Magazine covered the first 20 issues of the Transformers comic. I had those ones, but I also liked reading comics. And so I loved when these were in the supermarket because you could go to the supermarket with, say, your mom and go hunt one of these down, which at the time was nice because at some point in the late 80s, my supermarket stopped carrying comic books. But the ones up at the register, like Archie, were still there. And then I would see these Transformers ones. And so I could read the comic while we walked through the store, or, in some lucky cases, talk my mom into buying me one. It is a world transformed, where things are not what they seem. It is the world of the Transformers. Transformers, more than meets the eye. 
Autobots wage their battle to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticons. Transformers. Robots in disguise. The Transformers. More than meets the eye. The Transformers from Marvel Comics. So the U.S. was only one market that had the Transformers comic. The other was in the U.K., the United Kingdom. And it was produced by Marvel U.K., which was a semi-independent U.K. imprint. It started off as a simple sort of reprint book. And they would take the storyline from the U.S. version and try to split it across multiple issues. That meant that they would also need to add more locally produced material to the comic. So in the long run... This meant that the UK comic had more stories added to it than the US one. And whole new characters and storylines that we've never even heard of are available in the UK books. This would blast off like a rocket ship after the Transformers the movie, where they introduced a ton of new characters that, while they would appear in the US comic, were not heavily pushed. And the UK and Simon Furman embraced them. So there you heard the name again, Simon Furman. Simon was the primary writer of the Transformers UK. And whereas Buddy Ansky could tell very straightforward, good comic stories, Furman tended toward the epic. And that meant more mythology development. It meant big ideas, something that really works in the Transformers. They're not human. So it's just natural that you would develop a world around them. Because of the way it was distributed on a more frequent basis, and you needed more material, there were two humor strips that would run in the Transformers UK comics. One was Robo Capers, which was done by Lou Stringer, and the second was Matt and the Cat, which was done by Mike Casabrid. How did they accomplish what they were trying to do in the UK? How and why did they stretch it out? Well, why was because the UK's comic books were put out on a weekly schedule with a bit of a shorter format, which is why they could split things, but they couldn't split it enough that it would work as a full book. And so there was room left over to do more stuff. And so they would take the main story and then add more behind-the-scenes information, expanding the stories. This meant more info and more intrigue in the comic. The numbers around the sales in the U.S. and U.K. are really good. In the U.S., the Transformers was a strong comic. In the U.K., for Marvel U.K., it was the number one comic. A big hit, kind of a surprise. But much like the U.S. one, as interest in the toys started to wane, interest in the comic also began to wane. It would run from September 1984 to July of 1991 for 332 issues. Are you a fan of the Retros podcast? Do you like more retro stuff? Why not check out the Retros Patreon? Go to patreon.com slash retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, access to the Retroist Discord, and more. Feel good about yourself and make a difference in the world. Support the Retroist. Now the warrior robots in disguise are in their own action-packed Transformer comic on sale now from Marvel Comics. Simon Furman is the main guy over at the UK Transformers, but there's a lot of other great artists behind the scenes working on it. People like Dan Reed, Robin Smith, Jeff Anderson, Jeff Sr., Andrew Wildman, and Will Simpson, amongst others. All of them brought something very different to the table. If you start reading these comics, you'll see a lot of these artists are very different, and they all brought something to the table. But let's talk about Simon Furman. Simon Christopher Francis Furman was born in 1961. He is certainly most well-known for writing the Transformers, 
and he is the most prolific of the writers overall because not only did he work on the U.S. version and the U.K. version, but he would work on other Transformers stories that would follow. He kind of got the job because they needed somebody, and he was new at Marvel U.K., and quickly became the guy who did the Transformers. When Bob Budiansky was set to retire from working on the Transformers, he handpicked Furman, and he would work on the comic until it ended. He would then go on to work on more Transformers, including the Generation 2, he would work on the Beast Wars cartoon, work on Transformers The Ultimate Guide, and then would work on Transformers from other comic publishers. If you reread Furman's work, and I've been rereading the comics a lot lately and paying attention to what people say about Simon Furman, he is famous for what are called Furmanisms. And this is, I guess, a natural tendency amongst writers to use phrases that they like. And Furman does it in very epic ways. There's a whole list of Furmanisms on the web, things that he used multiple times across multiple issues. For example, the phrase power beyond measure gets used six times in his writing, each one more epic than the last. Now, I know a lot of people have those things. There's even people who claim they're Budiansky-isms, but I kind of like Furmanisms just because they're so epic. And I'm impressed with Furman for another reason. He had to take the original comic all those years and then make another comic work. And that meant that you had to really mess with the storylines to get things to line up right. Picture trying to take somebody else's art and insert other art into it in a way that is satisfying enough to fans. And Furman did that really well. But he didn't do it alone. He had some great artists working on the books with him, starting with Andrew Wildman. And I mentioned Wildman because not only did he work on issues of the Transformers, but he and Furman seemed to get along really well, creating a spirit of collaboration that would go beyond the Transformers. Dan Reed is a U.S. artist who worked on the Marvel UK books. His first work was in issue 115. I believe he was the first of the UK artists to work on the U.S. version, doing a cover for issue 56, although he is a U.S. artist, just happened to be over in Europe. He actually didn't work out of the UK, he worked in France, and there are some great stories online of him trying to get his work from France over to the UK offices, and some of the work being stolen, and the story plays like an episode of a sitcom. Jeff Sr. would work on both the US and UK version of The Transformers, probably best known to fans of comics for his work on The Transformers. Lee Sullivan started working on The Transformers for issue 92, doing the covers, and eventually working into the book itself, largely informed by Jeff Anderson and Jeff Sr. He would also work on other comics like The Thundercats, Robocop, Wild Cards, Tech World, and many others. Although in the UK, and maybe in the US, he's probably best known for his work on Doctor Who magazine. Robin Smith, although he said he did not like working on the Transformers in an interview, he's probably best known for his work on Judge Dredd, and finally, Jeff Anderson joined Marvel's UK Transformers on issue 65, and he would work on things like Death's Head, also with Simon Furman. In the midst of the Cybertronian War, special mission teams of Autobots and Decepticons blasted their way to planet Nebulon. There, the powerful Transformers let the intelligent Nebulons become the heads of their robots. Master Transformers, but the Headmasters were still Autobots and Decepticons, and fierce new battles erupted. Follow the adventures of the Headmaster Transformers and the equally incredible Target Master Transformers in Marvel Comics. So the publication of the Marvel books in the UK was every other week from issues 1 to 26, and then from issues 27 
to 308, it was weekly. And then finally would go back to every other week from issues 309 to 332. The paper quality on these books is higher than that of what you're going to see in U.S. comics. And the format is larger as well. So they'd be about 24 pages with 11 pages devoted to the Transformers stories with the remaining pages split between a backup strip, letters page, jokey comic strips, and then of course advertisements. Because of the difference and publishing schedule, the UK series would run for about a year more than the US to burn through some of these storylines. Much like the US, the publication date does not necessarily line up with the date that the comics came out. But over in the UK, it's not as egregious. Usually a disparity of about a week as opposed to multiple months. When the US version of the comic had ended, there were rumors that perhaps the UK version wouldn't end and instead would go to a monthly book. They even printed some information to that effect. But sadly, after talking it up, they shortly after revealed that the comic had been cancelled. And the reason for that, of course, is money. The Transformers, as the 90s were rolling around, weren't the powerhouse they had been. We were years away from the new movies that would come out, and they didn't want to invest in IP that they thought wasn't going to go anywhere, especially one that was a licensed material from somebody else, and instead wanted to focus on things they owned themselves. One of the fun quirks of comics in the UK are annuals. And if you're a US person and you've ever gone online and looked at comic books or even TV shows in the UK, you'll see that they put out these hardback books, these annuals. And they usually release them around the Christmas season. And they're a mixture of puzzles and info, comics and regular stories, really fun things. They would produce multiple annuals for the Transformers in the UK. And for a while, they weren't very expensive. They've kind of come up in price recently, especially getting them shipped to the US. But they are really great if you ever get your hands on one. After a series of startling defeats at the hands of the Decepticons, the Autobots create a new breed of Transformers. They look human. They look human, but they're pretenders. Pretender Transformers. Pretenders hide the Transformers inside. The Decepticons have their own pretenders, strange and terrifying. Pretender Transformers. They've got the power to surprise. Battle of the Pretenders, new from Marvel Comics. So while the original Marvel Transformers would eventually come to an end, and other comic companies would step in eventually and print the Transformers, there were some other Transformers storylines that were pretty good and are worth catching up on. The first would be the four-part miniseries, G.I. Joe and the Transformers. It was published by Marvel in 1987. The story had G.I. Joe and the Autobots teaming up to fight Cobra and the Decepticons. Two things happen that are notable. One, of course, the Decepticons betray Cobra, and Cobra and G.I. Joe and the Autobots need to team up to stop the Decepticons. But more importantly, Bumblebee is destroyed and will be rebuilt as Goldbug. For fans of Bumblebee, it's like the death of Optimus Prime. Not a fun thing. I happen to really like Bumblebee as well as Optimus Prime. Then in 1987 to 1988, the Transformers Headmasters was released, another four-issue miniseries. Not as popular as the G.I. Joe and the Transformers one, but interesting in its alienness, as opposed to the G.I. Joe one, which is very grounded. And if you were familiar with the G.I. Joe comics, you wanted to see how these characters would act with each other. My friends and I love those books. The Headmasters one, not so much. It kind of felt more like something they were doing just to introduce the Headmasters 
and the mythology around them. And I didn't really find the mythology all that compelling. After the Transformers had passed as a series, it was revived as a series in 93. A 12-issue series called Transformers Generation 2 hit comic shops. And it concerned what was happening on Cybertron while the Autobots and the Decepticons were both deactivated on Earth and then fighting it out. It's a pretty fun storyline, has some G.I. Joe crossover, and is worth checking out. Simon Furman's work on it is, of course, epic and fun. After that, other people would make interesting, no, not just interesting, really good Transformers comics. People like Dreamwave. But the work done by Marvel started it all, and it set the universe turning, giving us lots of firsts in the Transformers continuity, and then continuing them after the Transformers dropped off the small and big screen. Is the comic the best comic you're ever going to read? Probably not, although there are some really good issues of the Transformers, both in the US and in the UK. There's also a lot of amazing comic books that have been made over the years to compare them to. But how many of those are about giant transforming robots? What's great about the Transformers is the talent of these two artists. You have Bob Budiansky on one side of things, telling smaller stories that give a grounded interpretation of the Transformers. And then Simon Furman steps in on the other side and tells these epic stories of creation and destruction. Both of those things put together give a lot of balance to the Transformers. And it's hard to believe that these things started off as basically commercials for a toy. And just like so many other things, what started out as an attempt to sell something when combined with smart, talented people became art and it became beloved by so many people. And it's worth your time. So if you're looking for a great comic book to read, check out the original run of the Transformers by either Simon Furman or Bob Budiansky. You will not be disappointed. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on social media. I'm at Twitter and Mastodon. On Twitter, I'm at twitter.com slash retroist. And at Mastodon, I'm at retroist at mastodon.social. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word Pixel, and the number 8. Thanks to everybody who's been supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by giving it a 5-star review wherever you download the show. It really is the 5-star reviews that help people find the show, and I'd really appreciate it. If you want to support the show further, you can drop by patreon.com retroist. Supporters of the show over there get access to bonus tracks, bonus episodes, bonus scans, and access to the Retroist Discord, the greatest retro community on the internet. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. is Megatron to the ultimate degree, powerful and evil beyond measure. Unicron is powerful beyond measure, a fallen god. I offer forbidden fruit, time-lost secrets, power beyond measure. Furmanisms, from the book of Simon Furman.
This has been a retrospection. Goodbye.